Welcome to the show. Today we're going to be taking a look at speech and language therapy, especially in terms of how it relates to mental health for children. Uh, we're joined today by our speech pathologist, Jennifer Thompson, and we're looking forward to hearing all about it. Dr. Dean Beckloff has been working as a counselor with students, families, kids, and teens for over 40 years. As the founder of the Beckloff Behavioral Health Center, Dr. Dean focuses on children and families that need a little extra help via counseling. Each week with Dr. Elizabeth Zach, we discuss all things family-related to help people create the positive family they want to build. Welcome to the Dr. Dean Show. Welcome to the Dr. Dean Show. Today we are joined, as I said, by Jennifer Thompson. She's our speech pathologist and is the director of the, the speech and language uh, services at Beckloff Behavioral Health Center. I'm Dr. Dean Beckloff, and we are joined by our co-host, Dr. Zach, Dr. Liz Zach, our licensed psychologist, who is the director of the counseling services at Beckloff Behavioral Health Center. Um, and as I said, we're looking forward to interviewing Jennifer Thompson because she will tell us all about the ins and outs of speech and language therapy. And as it relates to um, mental health for kids and a, a huge part of development. And one of the things that we're gonna be looking at is just what, what is that tie between the two? Many years ago when I was working on my doctorate, we did testing of folks. And interestingly, we did a psychoeducational testing, and also we were joined by speech and language people who did testing in speech and language. It was there that that's where I realized there is a connection there because I got to hear what those folks, those good folks said in, uh, in their feedback to their parents. So Jennifer, let's just dive right into it. The, the, the thing that I have found just looking into the research by you guys, by speech pathologists, that you guys have said over and over again that as kids grow in learning how to label and to use language, that they grow towards self-control. Now, that was such a huge insight to me. So can you tell us a little bit about that? How, how does that work? Well, I mean, it's very, very true, all right? Um, part of child's development is learning to express their wants and needs, okay? And to control their environment. Think about it, the child who's two, who says no all the time, has learned to control their environment. And at three, it gets even worse, but that's part of that language and cognitive development that we work on. When they can't verbalize their wants and needs, you tend to see a lot more frustration, big emotional outbursts, um, you know, a lot of uh, off-task behaviors because they're frustrated, um, all of that. And if they could express those wants and needs and exert some control, it should lessen some of those behavioral issues and that frustration. Absolutely, you know, um, it, and, and it can be just slight issues, correct? In speech and mm -hmm. language. Very, very almost indiscernible 
slight problems that interferes with their ability then to regulate their emotions. Yes, definitely. So let's say we've got a kid who has what's called word finding issues. They can't come up with the word they're trying to think of. All right. And so they might pull the wrong word. I want the cat when really they wanted the monkey. All right. And they're not listening to themselves. They don't realize they heard the wrong thing. Parent, teacher gives them the cat. And then they have this huge outburst because it wasn't what they wanted. And they asked for it. They don't realize they asked for the wrong thing. Okay. Um, it can also be if they don't realize that they need to tell people what's in their head. Okay. Um, if they are hungry and it just doesn't occur to them to tell anybody, all of a sudden now we get hangry child and nobody knows what's going on. But it's because that child's never learned to share what's in their head. Yeah. So, and yeah. a lot of it comes down to that old processing that's mm -hmm. going on in the brain in that prefrontal cortex. And that's where they begin losing it. Now, if you're looking at development, and I'm talking about the early development, mm -hmm. you know, kids are going to be different in how they acquire language and how they grow and develop in language. What's a parent to do? What's, what's a parent supposed to do if they're not sure if everything's okay and on track? I mean, you know, here in Texas, uh, we have the early childhood folks that, that kick mm -hmm. in in the school districts uh, around three. Prior to that, we have the early, I yeah, forgot, ECI, ECI mm -hmm. early childhood intervention that can come out and assess as well. But, you know, it's hard to know sometimes if there is an issue or not. How do, how do parents distinguish that and look at that? How do they uh, get in and understand when they might need to take a look at it by someone professional like you? Right. Um, a lot of it is comparing them with their peers, mm -hmm. okay, especially if you are a first-time parent because you may not know. Um, so um, I was a first child. Um, I had knowledge because of my degree, but if I hadn't, I really didn't mm -hmm. do much with young children until that hard to know. point, and it's hard to know. So comparing them to their peers, right. okay, can be a lot of it. Um, or if something just feels off, mm -hmm. go get it checked out, mm -hmm. you know, go get it evaluated, you know, and they might say nothing's wrong. You've got nothing to worry about. Or if there is something there, you're identifying it early and all the research says the earlier you identify it and start to work on it, the better off it is in the long run. Can it be, can, can a slight issue, well, that may be harder if we're talking about slight, but can issues be determined early on, for example, what should be happening in early development with children? And then what's the clue that tells a parent, hey, we need to take a, a stronger look at this? So um, it starts really early. So by six months, you um, should have a child who makes eye contact with you and actually will stop what they're doing to look at a preferred family member or members, okay? If they're avoiding looking at people, even familiar people, or if they're avoiding being held, that can be a sign that there's something going on, okay? Children really are born with a Swiss army knife of skills to learn speech and language. It's kind of like, um, it's mimicking, really. They watch, 
and they mimic. So think about that young child, six months old, you know, you're, you're holding them and you're making faces, all right, sticking your tongue out, and you can watch that child try to mimic it. Mm -hmm. That's what you want to see at the younger ages, okay? By age one, we should have, um, by one, to, yeah, 12 to 15 months, you should have about 50 to 100 words. Really? Okay? Yeah. So the general rule is by one, they should be using single words. Not to say one word, but single words, mm -hmm. okay? By age 18 months to two years, all right, the number of words go up and they should be combining words together. Now, that doesn't just mean repeating what you say, but using words to come up with their own sayings. So, um, you know, it might be mama go, it might be car go, all right? Um, that isn't necessarily something that has been repeated, it's them taking those two words to form a novel new utterance, okay? So round one, age one, we should be using one word. By age two, they should be using various two word phrases, okay? By age three, they're probably using more than three word phrases, Okay, but that's kind of the minimum, that they're using multiple three-word phrases, okay? So that's stuff we're looking for as far as expressive communication. But like by age two, we should be seeing some verbs and nouns go well, par. And let me ask you this, because if some of that is not happening, is it time to panic? No. Is it time <laughs> no, to it throw in not. the towel? <laughs> no. Uh, what, what, I mean, that's the reason you're in this world and in this mm -hmm. business. You're there to help build when it's not happening as yeah. it should. And pediatricians seem to be a wonderful resource for kind of monitoring, right, the developmental progression. They looking are. Looking at those ages and stages and, yeah. and can be another resource, right? That's it. If you have you know, maybe if you your have first any questions, kid, if you have and you're not you can sure. ask them, okay? Yeah. Um, so yeah, pediatricians, they give you that little form to fill out that you check off they're doing X, Y, Z or not. Okay. Yeah, that's a good little sounding board just to check it off. If there are concerns, you can ask your pediatrician, all right? Now, depending on the personality of the pediatrician, some are like, yes, do it now. Others are like, yeah, wait six months, see if it's still an issue. Mm -hmm. um, and really, that's up to you and how severe you think the problem is, okay? Because you know how it's affecting the child. Right. Because you live with them. One of the things that I've always heard is that when it comes to speech and language therapy, there, let's just go back. It does correlate with the child's ability to manage themselves mm -hmm. and to manage emotions. So mm -hmm. that's what's critical here. And that's why we have you at a counseling office, because mm -hmm. it is imperative that if there's some little something going on, we need to repair that yeah. and to bring about some development right. in that arena. Okay. Now, um, if there are some slight issues going on, um, again, not to panic, but what do we do? <laughs> What's a parent to do? <laughs> okay, so let's say you've got a child that um, will go into articulation, how they make their sounds. All right, just real quick. Um, some notes, by age three, they should be 70% intelligible to a stranger. By age four, 100% intelligible. Doesn't mean they have no errors. But let's say you've got a child age three and people can only stand 50% of what they say, okay? What do you do? You don't need to panic, but you do need to go get it checked out. Either, you know, um, so by age three, if it's before age three, you can do ECI afterwards. You can go to um, an early start program at your local school system. You can go to a private speech therapist. Lots of options. 
and get it checked out. There may be other things going on, all right, than just articulation errors, okay? There may be so many errors or so many patterns that they're using that even though they're age appropriate, it's still really reducing their intelligibility because they're using so many of them. But that's gonna affect that ability to express their wants and needs. It's going to, a lot of the times, increase that frustration and those huge outbursts. And sometimes what I've noticed is a kiddo, because they realize that their communication is maybe slightly off, mm -hmm. maybe it's not producing the intended effect, that they shut down. Mm -hmm. They a begin not do. communicating. Mm -hmm. They keep it silent because mm -hmm. they're very aware that they're not quite where they need to be. So part of your job, like all of us, is mm -hmm. building the confidence mm -hmm. to get out there and use language. Language is important. Language helps the kid to grow and to develop yeah. and to manage themselves, including not only behavior, but their emotions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I am thrilled that we are talking about this today. Um, in prior episodes, Dr. Beckloff and I have, have been talking quite a bit about the brain and mm -hmm. the brain and behavior and, you know, learning how um, teaching kids to, to learn to go from, you know, that reactivity, that lower brain to responsivity. And we've been talking about how language is that, is that, that stepping stone to get there. And so I think this is such a fascinating topic and um, I know you do such great work. Um, so Thank I'm you. so happy you're here. I have some personal experience with, with uh, speech therapy. My, my youngest um, was in speech therapy when he was in his twos and, and threes and twice a week religiously we went. And mm -hmm. I was so very happy when uh, he turned five and it was time for kindergarten and was hoping to transition from private um, to, to maybe do some, some speech therapy in school and learned that there's quite a few differences in private mm -hmm. speech therapy and, and what, um, what they do in school. And, and actually he didn't even qualify for speech services um, through school. So wondering if you could share a little bit about what you're able to do um, and what, you know, some of those differences. Definitely. Okay, so um, let's talk about qualifying first, mm. okay? Because um, I've worked in the school systems too, mm -hmm. so I've done that as well. And um, they're both great, but they are different, mm -hmm. okay? So at the school system, they have a limited number of spaces that they're going to put kids in, all right? So they only put kids in that are severe enough mm -hmm. to really need it. Those that are just mild aren't going to qualify. Okay. They just don't have the space, the time, the money, okay? They're saving that for those kids that have the more, you know, moderate to severe issues. Deficits, okay. All right, so that's probably why, mm -hmm. you know, your child did not qualify. Right, right. Um, beyond that, you can, you can fight for it, just FYI, and you can push them, and sometimes you'll be able to mm -hmm. get it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've seen parents do it particularly for um, articulation, for mm -hmm. something that's called a frontal list, where they mm -hmm. put their tongue too far forward. Mm -hmm. Schools don't traditionally address Schools only address things that affect academics. I That's see. That's their job. Okay. So if they've got a frontal lisp where they're putting their, too far, too, their tongue, ooh, I'm a speech therapist, their tongue too far forward. So like, instead of saying son, they say son. Mm -hmm. That's a frontal lisp, but that doesn't affect academics. So they're not going to address it. You said you can push. They sometimes have some limited money to address mm -hmm. these, but 
Sometimes you're successful, sometimes you're not. Okay. All right, so that's qualification. Um, speech therapy at schools is generally group speech therapy, okay. right? which is actually a plus because now they're also getting a chance to work mm -hmm. on turn-taking, mm -hmm. social skills, you know, not talking over each mm -hmm. other. There's a lot of benefits to that. Sure. And they try to put kids together that are the same age or of similar um, issues. Yep. So there can be some community there as well. Um, so there are some definite pluses to it. As a private speech, ther speech therapist, I can work on kids who have mild issues as well as the moderate and severe. And you can, you can give them individual attention. That's it. Whereas mm -hmm. in the school, like you said, and, and I worked in schools too, and I always saw this. I saw that the kids who went to speech were really and truly meeting in a group setting, mm -hmm. which like you said, mm -hmm. has some wonderful benefits, mm -hmm. but uh, in terms of really having that individual attention, they really couldn't do mm -hmm. that. Right. And that's where someone privately can come in and, and, and really get some really specific help. And it just is necessary so much. And this is something that Dr. Zach is, was referring to. So much of what we've been talking about is helping the kid get up into the prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. so that they can process and problem well, solve yeah that's just not gonna gonna happen if there's some speech issues and yeah. they need that that help and that attending to so i'm a big believer in it as you well know i can really target what that child is dealing with and not necessarily even on one level so at school um, I had a kiddo that qualified for articulation, how he made his sounds, but he didn't qualify for language. All right. He met all his articulation goals, went to January to the dismissal art to find out he was failing first grade. Mm. Okay. And um, yeah, and I'm like, I, I can fix this, but I'm not allowed to because he didn't qualify mm -hmm. for language. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. I think many of us consider or think about speech maybe being for articulation issues. Right. But a little bit more about the receptive or expressive delays that and, and how that differs. So um, as a speech language pathologist, I have a master's degree in communication disorders. That means I deal with anything that interferes or affects communication. All right. Yes, speech is in the word and most people know us as speech therapists. Okay official speech language pathologist because we're a medical field. Um, but we work on language, we work on social skills, problem solving, organization, writing, reading, any number of things because it's all communication. Right. All right. Um, and issues in any one of those can affect the kid at varying right. levels. So what you're asking about the receptive versus expressive. Okay. So receptive is what you understand. Okay. Can you follow directions? Do you have to have gestures? So, you know, if I say, come here with my hand out and they do it, does that mean they can follow the direction or are they following the gesture? Mm -hmm. Okay, if you take the gesture away and you do it in a different situation and say, come here, can they do it? Mm -hmm. So receptive language, what I understand. And this goes for, as the teacher's giving lessons, what's written on the board, right. are they reading the question, are they in conversations, understanding what's going on, reading, um, facial expression, nonverbal body language, tone of voice, all of that is receptive, receptive language, language, what they understand. Then we have expressive language, which is 
how they express themselves. Are they using the right words? Are they using the right grammar? Are they using the right tone of voice, mm -hmm. facial expressions, body mm -hmm. language in the right situation? All yeah. that's expressive language. So my son, um, it made me very sad when he made progress on this because it was the cutest thing. Um, he used the pronoun she for everything and anything. And so mm -hmm. that would be an expressive language yes. issue. Everybody, everything That's it. it's was a, a she. It's a probably maybe of articulation mm -hmm. and expressive language. Mm -hmm. and, and then when he, yeah, yeah when he mastered that, so yeah, I do have videos though, you know, <laughs> that I've kept because they're so cute. Well, and um, I, okay. Is, it, is expressive, I'll, I'll use an example. Mm -hmm. I took French in high school. Mm -hmm. I could understand more than I could produce. Mm -hmm. Is that true for always? Is that like for us with language? Yeah, I'm not even able to express right this moment what I'm trying to say. <laughs> is that the expressive part? Is it always more limited than the other one? It depends, okay? So if, they, if a child is struggling with receptive language, they might sound fine. And like they're expressing themselves fine, but that doesn't mean they're actually understanding what somebody's telling them or what they're reading. All right, that is called a mixed receptive and expressive language disorder okay. because if there's an issue with what you're understanding, it's gonna affect your expressive, you know, mm -hmm. even though it sounds fine. Doesn't mean you're gonna be saying the right thing in the right way, right place, right time, mm -hmm. because you're misunderstanding what's going on, okay? Um, then the other one is when they do understand more than they can express, which definitely happens as they're developing. This is normal. Yeah. All right. Then that expressive language, if it's not keeping up with where it should be, then it's an expressive language, language disorder. Disorder. So. I'm trying to figure out which disorder I've got. <laughs> so, so anyway, now um, I know because I know you and I know the work that you do at our center that you deal a lot with social skill development. And mm -hmm. we have so many parents that want help in the social skill development of their children. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're seeing they're not connecting as they should. Maybe they're seeing that they're not able to rub shoulders and make friends. So um, social skill development. Now there's a special word that you guys use, right? What is that <laughs> word? So we call it pragmatics, pragmatic language development. Mm -hmm. So what that means is social skills, okay? Executive function, which is organization, prioritization, motivation, getting things done, problem solving, all of that fits into kind of the pragmatics. How oh, to say it, when to say it. it, where to say that's it. That's it. Um, all of that, and that's all part of that prefrontal cortex. Um, emotional regulation goes in that one too. Sure. All right, all of that falls under that pragmatics, which is why we deal with it as well. Uh -huh. um, it's something I specialize in. Uh -huh. I really, really enjoy it. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, my understanding of the research is that if a child doesn't have the ability to regulate their emotions, if they're not reading what's going on, or especially as they get older and older, they're not going to be able to get their wants and needs met. Mm -hmm. All right. And they're going to have 
issues that are going to cause other problems right. and they're going to you know struggle um so mm -hmm. part of what i do is not just the speech part mm -hmm. the language part but it's really building up that basis mm -hmm. even at a young age yeah. so that they've got a strong foundation to continue to build these language skills yes yeah. i think the pragmatic language work that you do is fantastic I, I've referred some kids Thank to you. you and, you know, they, they may be coming to me for anxiety or low mood and working with them, you know, learning that there's just some social skills deficits. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're not connecting with their peers. Maybe they're getting teased. Um, I have an extreme case where the child is now um, starting to, to show some school refusal and, mm -hmm. and realizing in kind of, you know, diving a little deeper that there's some some language, there's some um, social skills deficits right. and that, you know, we can work on the anxiety, we can work on the low mood, but really they need those those social skills developed. Oh, well, as well. One of the things that I've learned working at Becklaw's is that speech therapy and counseling go really well together. Yeah. We may be addressing the same things, but we're addressing them in different ways and, um, it's really, really helpful. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Well, okay, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Um, we hear a lot. I would say we've been hearing about it for about the last 50 years, but sensory issues. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, the people that, that really do a lot of work with sensory issues are our occupational therapists, the OTs. They're the ones that address that real specifically. But I think you also address sensory issues as well. And I know you do something called feeding therapy. <laughs> yes. So what, a, what is, how do you, does your role integrate with all of that? So um, if a child is struggling with sensory issues, okay? So think about it. We've all worn clothes that just felt itchy or scratchy. Right now. Too tight and uncomfortable. That's it, exactly. <laughs> And it makes it hard to pay attention to what you're supposed to because you're so distracted. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine that amped up, okay? Which is what some of these children are dealing with. Mm -hmm. Or we have the child that's the opposite, that they're just not getting those sensations, mm -hmm. all right? They're not getting that feedback, and so it's a struggle. All right, I'm gonna throw one of my, my children under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> so they had poor sensory around their mouth, mm -hmm. okay? And so when they would eat, it just it was like a full body experience, all right? Um, and I didn't really realize it until my two kids, one was seven, my seven-year-old and my four-year-old, we were waiting on the car wash and we had chocolate chip cupcakes sitting outside. My four-year-old, when um, he was done, had a few little crumbs. My oldest, when they were done, just had a waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> like, mm. <laughs> and so, you know, to address that case, it really was an, an issue of just making sure they knew to use a mapkin periodically to wipe their mouth because they weren't aware that there was food there. Okay, so that's sensory, but I deal with it a little. Okay. Occupational therapists really know a lot more than I do for this. Okay. Um, there are bits and pieces I've picked up to help a child just regulate mm -hmm. so they can pay attention and learn. So that's where it comes in. Um, and then a little bit more on the feeding side. So we do a speech therapist, we do anything involving communication, and we do things involving swallowing and feeding as well, because we're familiar with the territory. Mm -hmm. That's that's how that yeah. got thrown. Okay. Yeah. 
And how do you, what do you do? And, and when is that a problem? How would a parent know? Um, so if a child is a picky eater beyond, okay. Beyond. So yeah. we're talking a child who will only eat bland, soft foods mm -hmm. as an example. Okay. Chicken nuggets only from Brahms, French fries only from Brahms. Okay. Um, they will only eat mom's mashed potatoes, which are instant. All right. And it's just all bland. Okay. There's not a lot of flavor there, no color. Everything's got a soft texture. That kid may have sensory issues and need some feeding therapy so that they can learn to try new foods mm -hmm. and increase their nutritional mm -hmm. intake mm -hmm. as well. You have kids that go on what's called a food jag where they're stuck on just eating corn dogs. And only corn dogs until all of a sudden corn dogs don't work. And now they're only eat, you know, the oven roasted turkey, turkey slices from Oscar Mayer and nothing else. All right. But it's really affecting their nutritional intake. It's sometimes affecting their weight. Um, as they get older, it can affect their ability to socialize. Okay. A child who um, won't eat pizza. Okay. That's an issue. Okay. Um, Especially, and I had this, I had a kiddo who could not get a piece of pizza down his throat. Mm -hmm. And he was in middle school mm -hmm. and wanted to be able to socialize with everybody else yeah. who was having mm -hmm. pizza. Yeah. We well, and struggled and struggled with it. It's it's. I love that you said this is more than just picky eating. It really is. My there the, are picky eaters. There are so. picky eaters, and, and a lot fine. of kids are picky eaters. Um, it's self disclosure day um, for, for my child. Um, part of his speech therapy was doing food um, feeding therapy, and uh, in those years because he was sensory averse. He was the opposite of the 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 smooth texture, mm -hmm. everything had to be crunchy. Yes. Or spicy. Yes. I, I, you know, use the example when people would say, you know, he's just such a picky eater. I'm like, well, you know, he would choose a crunchy carrot stick over a soggy French fry any <laughs> day of the week and still does and, and still can, will smell foods mm -hmm. and, you know, very much there's a sensory component. There really is. And it was fascinating the work that, um, that she did there. And I know there's different programs, but, you know, she would have different colored, you know, uh, you know, it might be orange and so different things, you know, and, and really just kind of shaping, getting closer and closer to tolerating, yeah. you know, tasting, you know, the, the food. So I think, um, I don't think that people realize how many things you do <laughs> as no. a speech therapist. Yeah, so what you were talking about with the food, we, we play with food. Yes. Okay? Because yes. play is the work of childhood. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And just interacting with the food, even if yeah. it's not going in the mouth. Yeah counts because they're getting more sensory issue because there's anxiety so, there can be really anxiety wi mm -hmm. within that as well that well think about it if you go to a, a this is the best story i read it online i'm sorry i don't know who wrote it or where but if you go to a you know deserted island and there's a tribe there and um they give you this very spiky hard to chew thing to eat and you're like, why would you eat this? This is awful. This is horrid. I just want to eat normal food. And you're hungry, mm -hmm. but you just can't get this down. It smells bad. Mm -hmm. That's what these kids are going through sometimes. Yeah. And it creates yeah. a great deal of anxiety yeah. when they're just hungry and yeah. they just want 
the stuff that you see. And you work on this yes. as a speech and language pathologist. You work on this stuff I with yeah, young kids. Now, is there an age range where that might be an issue that you would be working with them? Is it usually younger children? Um, it's really about elementary school children. You can work with them younger as well. Most of the ones that um, I see in our practice are really um, elementary school age. Um, occasionally I see them younger than that if there's a failure to thrive mm -hmm. because they're not eating enough. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, um, all righty. This has been this has been really really good. Um, I wanted to throw in something that we call age range. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I already know the answer to this, but what's the range of folks that you work with when it comes to speech and language therapy? Um, I'm a little different. There are ones of us out there. I actually started with adults. Okay. Um, I, I did my child practicums and I didn't think that's what I wanted to do. And um, I actually did work with adults, research on Alzheimer's disease and aging, traumatic brain injury, mm -hmm. um, you know, the effects of a stroke on language. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. But then I had my first child and um, the drive, because I was working down at Callier in the Brain Health Center, and um, the drive became too much because I live up in Plano. But I had my kid, and then I was ready to go back to work. A, a job at a private practice, working with kids, just kind of fell into my lap. It was close. Um, Dr. Lynn Silver was my boss, and she's like, I can teach you to work with kids. And um, I've been working with kids since then. So I've been working with kids since... Uh, 2000. Yeah. So, yeah. and I um, absolutely love it. But because of my past experience, I do get adults mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, I get accent reduction. Sometimes I get stutterers or what's called tongue thrust. That's what I was going to ask you. Um, what adults, uh, when does an adult need a speech and language therapist? Well, definitely if there's been a brain event, mm -hmm. if they've had an accident that affected their brain, if they've had a stroke, Okay, head injury, um, if they are starting to lose some cognitive mm -hmm. skills, which mm -hmm. is not normal aging, FYI, um, all of that, then yes, you can bring in a speech therapist to help. Mm -hmm. right. But I've also seen adults who stutter. Okay, I work with them. Accent reduction. Mm -hmm. um, I've actually done a lot of accent reduction with people so that they're better understood or they understand that nonverbal body language, okay. tone of voice, how we say things here. Um, done lots of that. I've done work with adults who have something that's called a tongue thrust, immature swallow, just push their tongue forward against their teeth to swallow. Um, and they had to have braces again sometimes mm -hmm. because their tongue acted like reverse braces. Um, I see that as well. Or the adults who had oral surgery, mm -hmm. okay, be it uh, clipping their tongue, be it tonsils removed, be it they had issues with their vocal folds um, because they had nodules on it or because they've um, got some paralyzation mm -hmm. in it, all of that. Mm -hmm. That's when I see adults. So I used to live in Africa mm -hmm. many years ago. And what was interesting is one of the tribes there did not have the letter R. 
And so Dean was fine. They could cope with Dean. <laughs> but my cousin Randy was always Landy. Landy they could not form <laughs> an R. And so when you said that about helping people with what was it? The reduction of accent reduction. Accent reduction. Accent reduction. I guess it might even be training people how to say certain mm -hmm. letters yeah. that or are come, in our alphabet. Or come close enough that mm -hmm. it doesn't stand out. Right? Yeah. There's definitely yeah. some of that yeah. Yeah. Um, as well. But yeah, or any you know, voice issues mm -hmm. are also something I see adults for. Um, or somebody who's transitioning, mm -hmm. all right, from you know, female to male, male to female. Mm -hmm. Their speech therapists are very helpful for adjusting to the new voice mm -hmm. and the new body language and the new social skills. Absolutely. So many things. One thing that we didn't talk about that I would love to, to make sure we cover. Um, I know that you also, we were talking about some of the pragmatic, the social skills work that you do individually. Um, but I know that you also offer some groups. I do. So, um, I like to, you know, target kids directly and make progress there. But sometimes what they really need is learning how to use social skills in particular in a group. Mm -hmm. So I do have some groups mm -hmm. as well. So like mm -hmm. right now I have a group of girls, third to fourth grade, okay, where we're working on, you know, compromise, mm -hmm. taking turns on, um, asking questions, not just answering mm -hmm. them. We're working on sharing space. And I have one of your kiddos um, is one of my clients and um, it has been adorable that she shares the things that she's learned. And she was so thrilled to have learned um, that that you change how you respond based on the type of relationship. Oh, so yes. questions that you might ask of a friend would be different mm -hmm. than an acquaintance, than would be Definitely. different of a stranger. So yes. she has really benefited from this lesson. Yes. Um, um, so yeah, but yeah. being able to practice that, because practicing with me, a familiar adult, mm -hmm. mom, that's different in this, in a group setting is a step closer toward a more naturalistic setting. Um, so right now I've got that group. I've got a, a young college age kids group as well. You know, they're now out there in the world, some in college, some not. So all that structure from high school's gone away. Mm -hmm. All those friends you spent lots of time with, what do you do now? Yeah. Um, so I've got that going as well. Yeah. I'm looking to put together some other groups mm -hmm. of various ages. Mm -hmm. Um, to work on it too. Yeah. So it's yeah. fantastic. Well, it is so interesting and fascinating the work that you're doing and the, I, you know, I've often said these kids are walking into a political minefield when they go to school, mm -hmm. nobody has social skills. And, uh, I love it. The way you said you try to put them together in the real world. Mm -hmm where nobody has any social skills. They're not very nice to each other. They blurt. They, they interrupt each other. Um, and, and devices have not helped with this, learning how to socialize appropriately versus just over the phone. So, the world, well, yeah. the world's changing. So right. we are in the middle of the techno no, technological revolution and skills are changing. But yeah. if you look back in history, invention of the printing press, the newspaper, Everybody was up in arms. People weren't going to talk to each other. You know, it was going to stop all social skills, and it didn't. Yeah. So yeah. we are in a transition right now. We're yeah. social creatures. Yeah. yeah. Kids need to know how to use these devices, all right, to connect. You know, you use them socially, but they need to know how to do it without them as well. Exactly. All right. And most kids 
will get those skills on their own. But if they're struggling, then it might be time to get some help. Yep. So Jennifer Thompson, we are so glad to have you here today. It has been really enlightening and you are uh, just essential to the operation of what we're doing because we're trying to help kids grow up. We're, this show is about all things family, mm -hmm. all things about a growing family and a developing family. And development is what you do. We want that development to be positive. And so we're grateful for you taking the time to be here, to spend it with us today and to share your wealth of knowledge. Uh, you've got some incredible knowledge about all things. I hope so at this <laughs> A point. A lot of things. <laughs> I think you just became something. I don't understand that, uh, something in that world, but you've become something else. You're always, see you're always learning and growing, and I think that uh, contributes then to the, the, the kids that you're working mm -hmm. with and the adults that you're working with too, because I've seen you working with the adults as well. And so. something I love about this field is that you never stop learning. Yes. And it's not just the book learning, all right? It's also just the experience that all these clients and families bring to me that I can then use to help others as well. Yes. And so, Jennifer, thank you for coming today. Thank you for being a part of our, our show today. And thanks again to Dr. Zach for being here and helping us uh, in terms of just learning more and more about how to grow our families. Thank you.